Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Former Vice President Mike Pence is back in the spotlight. The January 6th panel today accused former President Trump of pressuring Pence to overturn election results. And others say the panel is only telling one side of the story. A former emergency room doctor was sentenced to prison for her involvement in the January 6th Capitol breach. And she will have to pay more than just prison time for her actions. News outlet USA Today says one of its reporters appears to have fabricated quotes in her stories. The company is taking action following an investigation. State lawmakers pushed to have Philadelphia's district attorney impeached. Just as LA's DA recall campaign reaches a significant milestone. We dig deep on what seems to be a growing trend. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin has proposed 38 amendments to a recently approved state budget. One of them adds a new felony charge. Putting Mike Pence back in the spotlight, the third January 6th hearing today seeks to connect what it describes as a pressure campaign by Donald Trump to what happened on January 6th. But others say such narratives are one-sided. NTD's Iris Tao has more. The votes for President of the United States are as follows. This moment back in the spotlight as the January 6th panel on Thursday turned the focus on Mike Pence and what it called a pressure campaign from former President Donald Trump. Donald Trump wanted Mike Pence to do something no other vice president has ever done. The former president wanted Pence to reject the votes and either declare Trump the winner or send the votes back to the states to be counted again. Showing clips from the Capitol breach. I hear the Pence just caved. And from Trump's rallies. And Mike Pence, I hope you're gonna stand up for the good of our Constitution. The panel seeks to connect pressure on Pence to what happened on January 6th. While the former vice president was not in the room, the panel heard from his top legal advisors who said it was a baseless theory that Pence could reject the election outcome and that it told Pence as such. Our review of text, history, um, and frankly just common sense all confirmed the vice president's first instinct on that point. There is no uh, justifiable basis to conclude that the vice president has that kind of authority. One witness added that if Pence did reject the votes, would have been tantamount to a revolution within a constitutional crisis. Trump, meanwhile, accused the panel of picking one-sided witnesses and on Thursday demanded, quote, equal time on the networks airing the hearings. And attorney Ed Martin told NTD that he thinks the hearings are only telling one side of the story. They're telling one side of the story. I don't even know if it's all a lie, but I can tell you when someone shows a carefully edited video of just a few moments of something that went on for hours, for example, interviews, and then they tell you what that means, they're, they're either lying to you or deceiving you or something. Trump previously refuted allegations by Representative Liz Cheney that he had supported the Hank Mike Pence slogan. And Martin said he hopes viewers of the hearings can look for facts on their own.
thing. So I would tell the American people, whenever you see any entity, Republican, Democrat, independent, who tells you this is the truth and allows no questioning of that, no meaningful questioning, then they're lying to you. And after Thursday, two more hearings are slated for next week, one on June 21st and another on June 23rd. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. U.S. District Judge Christopher Cooper sentenced a California doctor to 60 days in prison for participating in the January 6th Capitol breach. Dr. Simone Gold, a prominent critic of COVID-19 vaccines, said she deeply regretted entering the Capitol and that getting involved in the event was, quote, the opposite of who I am. Judge Cooper also sentenced her to 12 months of supervised release and ordered her to pay a $9,500 fine. He said Gold was not a casual bystander. She was accused of joining a mob to break into the House chamber and reportedly delivered speeches to rioters during the breach. Gold told the Washington Post that she didn't witness any violence. She pleaded guilty in March to entering and remaining in a restricted building. And moving now to inflation, what's the government doing to lower costs for everyday Americans? Today, President Biden signed off on a new law to address shipping costs. And lawmakers on Capitol Hill passed a new bill to address food and fuel prices. But some House Republicans are calling it a missed opportunity to effectively tackle soaring prices. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports. Today on Capitol Hill, lawmakers passed a bill designed to lower costs in the agriculture and energy sectors. Our lowering cost has always been our ongoing theme uh, for the American people. It would give Americans more opportunity to buy E15 gasoline, which is cheaper than the standard gasoline. As for addressing food costs, there's a bipartisan measure to develop and expand the meat processing industry. Uh, this is the first step towards lowering meat prices, but in addition to increasing processing capacity for American cattlemen and poultry producers, we need to go after anti-competitive practices in the meat industry. This is one of the more controversial pieces of the package, which would allow the federal government more ability to crack down on so-called bad actors in the meat industry. We need to slam the brakes on any policy that empowers more government bureaucrats and impoverishes the people. The Meat and Poultry Special Investigator Act, introduced by Democrat Congresswoman Spanberger and Republican Congresswoman Miller Meeks, would create a new special investigator tasked with enforcing antitrust laws. The investigator would have subpoena and litigation power. Now, there are a few good pieces of bipartisan legislation in this package. But our friends on the other side of the aisle refuse to allow these bills to receive their individual vote, instead using the good provisions here as pawns in their political messaging. While the fate of this bill is unclear in the Senate, another bipartisan measure to fight inflation has already made its way to the president's desk. To put a stop to shipping companies uh, taking advantage of American families, farmers, ranchers, and businesses. Anything and everything across the Pacific on a ship from Asia saw a price tag shoot up and families and businesses felt the squeeze here at home. And in addition to the actions that the White House and Congress is taking today, both the House and the Senate are right now in conference hammering out details for a bill that would increase U.S. manufacturing. Now, the fact that congressional leadership has dedicated a conference to compromise on some of these details indicates that the final version of the bill will be one that both parties can agree on and can be sent to President Biden's desk. Leadership is right now aiming for an end-of-the-summer deadline to get it off to the White House. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. 
And now a story about the media. News outlet USA Today removed nearly two dozen stories from its platform after auditing the work of its reporter Gabriela Miranda. The media outlet said in a statement that Miranda appeared to have fabricated people's quotes. USA Today said on Thursday that they audited the reporting work of Gabriela Miranda after receiving an external correction request. The outlet found that Miranda quoted individuals who were not affiliated with the organizations she claimed they were. And USA Today couldn't independently verify the existence of other individuals she quoted. In some stories, a number of quotes were credited to the wrong people, while other quotes appeared to be fabricated altogether. Miranda has resigned as a reporter for USA Today, and the outlet removed 23 of her articles from its website and other platforms. Some of the removed stories covered sensitive topics, such as abortion laws, vaccines, redistricting, and the war in Ukraine. One of the headlines reads, Anti-vaxxer pushes urine therapy as COVID antidote without scientific evidence. And another one is titled, Texas abortion ban could lead to stockpiling contraceptives and pregnancy tests. USA Today says it strives to be accurate and factual in all its content and regrets this situation. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And over in Pennsylvania, Republican state lawmakers this week announced a push to impeach Philadelphia's district attorney for implementing so-called soft-on-crime policies. The lawmakers accuse him of neglecting his duties and allowing crime to proliferate. The move comes after a series of recall efforts of progressive prosecutors in other states. I spoke with the president of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, Jason Johnson, to learn more about this trend. Jason, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Three Pennsylvania lawmakers are moving to impeach Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner, saying unchecked violent crime in the city has reached a breaking point due to Krasner's refusal to enforce the law. What's your take on the move? Well, you know, I think it's a great move. It's certainly a move in the right direction. Uh, we've seen the social justice prosecutors across the country uh, fail to um, observe their oath of office to to prosecute criminals and get you know hardcore violent criminals off the street. The problem is particularly acute in Philadelphia, which has seen a seventy eight percent increase in homicides under uh, Mr. Krasner's watch. Yes, your organization has documented this correlation between so-called soft on crime DAs and rising crime rates. Could you tell us a little more about crime in Philadelphia since Krasner took office? Well, you know, as I said, homicides have increased 78% under his watch, and 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 they increased in Philadelphia even before uh, the riots that we saw more recently in 2020, when many other cities have have had increases in homicides. So this is something that really was concurrent with Mr. Krasner taking over. So it's pretty easy to see what the cause of it is. He's lost uh, or dropped significantly higher rates of felony cases, felony drug and handgun cases than his predecessor. Uh, he has a decarceration philosophy where he doesn't want to see people go to jail. He essentially wants to see drugs legalized and uh, violent felons remain on the streets, uh, even pending their trials. And you mentioned that this is part of a trend, or it seems to be, and the effort to impeach Krasner comes actually just one week after San Francisco voters successfully recalled former DA Chesa Boudin, whose lack of prosecution has also been blamed for the city's rampant rise in violent crime. And there's also an effort underway to recall Los Angeles DA George Gascon. What do you make of this trend? 
Well, certainly it's a trend in the right direction. We, we've been able to identify, my organization, Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, in our study of it, have been able to identify 75 what we call social justice prosecutors around the country. You named a few of them. They're some of the some of the most notorious, but there are many others. Uh, Kim Fox in Chicago, Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore, and I could go on. Uh, and, and really the underlying, uh, there's a few underlying um, commonalities among them. Uh, they come from back, civil rights backgrounds, criminal defense, suing the police department. Mr. Krasner sued in his private practice, sued the Philadelphia Police Department about 75 times. They don't come at this to hold criminals accountable. They come at this to radically change the criminal justice system. And so far, the results are not good. And what's driving it? What's behind this? What's the ultimate goal here? I, I, I don't know their ultimate goal other than it, it seems to be to create chaos and to up upend an orderly society. We're seeing homicides in all measures of violent crime, but homicides in particular increase in every city across America where we have a social justice prosecutor. Uh, what the ends are, I don't know, but I think that some of the evidence we're seeing, whether it's Chase Boudin in San Francisco or now Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, the effort to unseat uh, the, the Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon is people are tired of it, and they're starting to make the connection between district attorneys and rapidly rising rates of violent crime in cities, and they're not going to tolerate it. So whether it's at the ballot box or through impeachment, through recalls, uh, I, you know, we really need to see this change because, um, you know, all that underlies this is George Soros and his billions of dollars that we we recently documented the amount of money being injected into these prosecutors' race. Mr. Gasco, 90% of his fundraising, 90% of his fundraising when he first took office was from George Soros and his interests. And um, that's what's fueling this, what the ultimate goal is. You know, who, who, your guess is as good as mine. What do you think George Soros' interests are here? Well, you know, he's got a radical view of criminal justice in the in the United States, and he uh, he wants to he wants his vision of the United States, and particularly in urban communities in the United States, to take hold. And he's doing it by by identifying political offices that are fairly inexpensive to buy, and he is buying them. Uh, as I said, for Mr. Uh, Krasner, ninety percent of his fundraising when he took office came from George Soros. 90%. And that's not unusual in, in the offices that we studied, that Mr. Soros was able to purchase uh, these offices just by making enormous contributions, and, and his candidates were elected. And they are they are putting his vision of uh, a criminal justice reform in. The United States citizens who have a stake in this need to take action to push back. And they are. Now, you and your organization work very closely with law enforcement officers. Tell us what impact do these DAs have on police officers and their jobs? Well, they have an incredible impact in, in two different spheres. The first is that, you know, police officers take great risk and that their entire effort at work is to identify uh, and bring to justice those who commit acts of violence. And when they do that, and the cases just get thrown out, dismissed, and or otherwise disposed of. They see these felons out walking the street the very next day that they're arrested. These officers will take that as um, evidence that really their jobs don't matter, and that going after these violent offenders doesn't make a difference. And so it's demoralizing, uh, it's disempowering, and it and we're seeing the evidence uh, on the back end of that that crime has increased dramatically. And also, many of these prosecutors tend to focus their efforts more on police officers, prosecuting police officers, 
much more aggressively than they do prosecuting street criminals. And so that that has a chilling effect on law enforcement. It, again, it makes them reticent to do their job. And again, you know, we're seeing the evidence of that in the crime numbers. Do you think crime is going to be a top issue for voters during the upcoming election? Absolutely. It, it already is. I mean, in addition to the economy and inflation, it is a very high concern. Voters are taking notice of the dynamics uh, at, at play here. Most cities, many cities in America, when you go to, I mean, they're not nearly as safe as they used to be. There's a certain chaos and a lack of safety that exists. And the, and the reason, there are many reasons for it, but the biggest reason is there's a lack of accountability for those who would commit acts of violence. The district attorneys elected in these cities are, are the primary cause of that. Jason Johnson, president of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. We reached out to Krasner's office for comment, but didn't hear back before airtime. And just in, L.A. District Attorney George Gascon's recall effort has hit a milestone. The campaign's organizers say they now have enough signatures to qualify for the ballot, 10% of registered voters in the county. Although they say they're still collecting signatures in case some of those already collected are invalidated. And in Virginia... Governor Glenn Youngkin has proposed an amendment to a recently approved state budget that would make it a felony to protest outside the homes of judges. The newly proposed section, called unlawful picketing or parading, would apply to persons who intentionally interfere with or attempt to influence a judge's decision by protesting near any building where judges carry out their duties or near their place of residence. A person would be charged even if the building or residence is not occupied at the time of the protest. The amendment also extends to protests that target jurors, witnesses, court officers, or court employees, and their family members. Persons convicted of a Class 6 felony in Virginia could face one to five years imprisonment and a fine of up to $2,500. Youngkin said in a statement, I'm asking that the General Assembly help keep our state and federal judges safe. Coming up, an unusual event in southwestern Kansas. At least 2,000 cattle died this week. What caused their deaths? The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reports nearly 400 crashes in 10 months involving vehicles with partially automated driver assist systems. That figure includes 273 with Teslas. NTD's Capital Report. It's about getting answers. Cutting through the fog of politics. It's about your questions and our chances to ask. What is the net impact of the American Carson Graves? Thank you for joining us. We're speaking to those in power to find out what does this mean for the people. We're here so you are in the know. Thousands of cattle died in an unusual way this week in southwestern Kansas. Authorities say the cows allegedly died from high temperatures and humidity. The exact death toll is unknown, but the Kansas Department of Health and Environment says they were contacted to dispose of the carcasses of at least 2,000 cows. The western part of Kansas saw temperatures rise to over 100 degrees over the weekend, and that continued for three days. 
but cows don't usually die from heat on such a large scale. The Kansas Livestock Association said this is a very unique and unfortunate event. The deaths add pain to the U.S. cattle industry as producers have reduced herds due to drought and have grappled with feed costs. Kansas is the third largest cattle state behind Texas and Nebraska. It has more than 2.4 million cattle in feedlots. And in Arizona, a company has been working on a special bulletproof vest they hope will prevent the loss of life in an active shooter situation. It comes as the nation grieves over the most recent shootings, and many people are searching for ways to make schools and public spaces safer. Arizona Fire Captain Kevin Goodman says his company, Escape Armor, exists for one reason, to prevent the loss of even a single child in a school shooting. He designed a bulletproof vest that easily fits into school backpacks so kids can have it with them at all times. So I formed Escape Armor to specifically develop a bulletproof vest that is uh, lightweight, compact, and it can just be deployed, you know, um, just pulled out, put on in an emergency, and then you can leave the back, you know, whatever else you have, and just you can run, you can hide, or if you have to, you can fight and it'll still give you some protection. It's not the first such product, but Goodman says his armor uses better materials. He demonstrated how well the vest works by firing several shots using a 9mm rifle, 9mm handgun, and 45 caliber handgun. These two hits here would have pierced right through my heart. Um, these on the on the my right side would have gone through my right lung and these lower ones over here uh, There's two hits here. These would have easily gone through my left side lung So yeah, I mean these would have basically the panel would have stopped all of these these hits from reaching vital organs um, And it would allow me at least to escape Goodman is a father of four children He says he just wants them to have every opportunity and every advantage they can to get away from an active shooter situation So if you can make a product that does that he says it's worth it It's so tragic that these things keep happening and unfortunately they they're probably going to keep happening and that's just the sad reality so You know, I'm trying to just make my product as as available as I can and um, get it out there and, and just to give people just one other tool to try to protect their kids and their families. Escape Armor offers two different products, a foldable vest that comes in three sizes and a standalone shield that makes any backpack bulletproof. An interesting innovation. And according to statistics released Wednesday by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, automakers reported nearly 400 crashes over a 10-month period all of them involving vehicles with partially automated driver assist systems. Among the cars involved, 273 are Teslas. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, cautioned against using the numbers to compare automakers, saying it didn't weigh them by the number of vehicles from each manufacturer that used the systems, or how many miles those vehicles traveled. Automakers reported crashes from July of last year through May 15th. Despite the data, some drivers were still comfortable with driver assist systems like Tesla's. To be honest, man, I love it. Uh, I think the autonomous features of the Tesla are great, man. Uh, especially for, uh, for long road trips or for commuting, you know, in and out of work or whatever the case may be. Tesla's crashes happened while vehicles were using autopilot, full self-driving, traffic-aware cruise control, or other driver assist systems. The company has about 830,000 vehicles with the systems on the road. Tesla advertises its driver assist features as autopilot or 
full self-driving, they are not fully self-driving, they're not fully autonomous driving vehicles at all. So they're only meant to assist your driving. The next closest car maker with reported crashes was Honda, with 90. Honda says it has about 6 million vehicles on U.S. roads with these kind of systems. Subaru was next with 10. All other automakers reported five or fewer. But for some drivers, driver assist systems are a welcome feature. Oh, I think that they're a wonderful addition. I wish all cars had them uh, overall. They're, uh, they really reduce driver fatigue overall. Um, I use them uh, when it's stop and go traffic. And it's amazing how much easier it is. The NHTSA said six people were killed in the crashes involving driver assist systems, and five were seriously hurt. Five deaths occurred in Teslas, and one was reported by Ford. Three of the serious injuries were in Teslas, while Honda and Ford each reported one. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And in entertainment, some say it's not what you know, it's who you know. And for artists breaking into the entertainment industry, it's one of the biggest obstacles to overcome. But now a Chicago startup has come up with a solution to help aspiring artists gain access to insiders and opportunities to make their dreams come true. Yeah, I was an aspiring uh, music producer. I made music for other people and wanted to do that professionally and get my songs on the radio or you know heard by millions of people. Um, but I didn't have the right connections to do that. Jackson Jin turned his problem into a business idea in the spring of 2021. The business idea is to connect aspiring artists with industry experts for advice and help to launch their careers. If every single person was accessible, no matter how hard to reach or how important or how famous, and if you could get your talent in front of them, you might be able to impress them and change your life. Bringing an idea to life takes funding and, of course, knowing the right people. It was a lot of networking and hustling. I would try to meet someone who could make another introduction. And then once you get your first brand name person, everything else starts to fall uh, into place. So one of our very first angel investors was Will Smith. With backing from A-listers and an $8.5 million seed funding round led by Sequoia Capital, Jin and co-founder Michael Cruz founded Protege in the summer of 2021. Protege is an online platform giving users access to expert advice for a fee. Hey, yo, check this out. This is DJ Calvin, and I want to listen to your music right here on Protege because I might see something or hear something that I want to sign, or I might even use a beat for my album. Depending on how big the expert is, how famous they are, how in demand they are, they set their own price which ranges anywhere from $10 to several hundred dollars. For each 60-second audition video, Protégé takes a 25% commission. Today, Protégé has more than 30,000 users worldwide, and 3,000 of them have sent in videos for expert feedback. The experts include Grammy Award-winning producer DJ Khaled, singer-songwriter BB Rexa, and actor Jason Alexander. Lucky applicants like Liz Lockrey and Josh Bryant were already selected by the experts. At the kitchen table. They say it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, so I feel like that'll kind of be my story as well. Um, I just I didn't expect to, to, be, to be chosen today, so it's amazing news. Really easy submission process. I think Protégé is definitely creating a bridge between artists and artists. We're on this call to let you know that you won, brother. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm stunned. The young startup's ambition goes beyond the entertainment industry and has started recruiting business experts from different industries. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, commuting by motorcycle could be on the rise. As gas prices increase, people are looking for other forms of transportation to help cut down on spending. And in the NBA, Game 6 is tonight with Golden State looking to clinch in Boston. NTD's Dave Martin breaks down what another title would do for the Warriors. That and more coming up. With gas prices skyrocketing, commuters are looking for other modes of transportation to lower their bills. NTD's Jackie Rios went to a motorcycle showroom in Los Angeles to learn why bikes are now more desirable. Gas prices keep going up. Trains and buses run on their schedules, not yours. So is there an alternative and affordable way to drive around town? There might be. But first, there are certain things you need to know about before you drive around town on two wheels. At the Birds Mega Mall in Covina, California, rows of motorcycles await new owners. Neil Adams, the project coordinator, says the bikes make the commute worth it. Thankfully in California, we have OHV lanes that allow the motorcycle to split right down the, the lanes there, which makes it great. Instead of a three-hour drive to go 60 miles, it takes you actually 45 minutes. Definitely worth it. Adams said technological advancements allow the bikes to have similar features found in cars. So the motorcycle takes a ton of cues from the car industry. So you'll see on a lot of bikes, you're going to have ABS, so the, the anti-brake system. You're going to have throttle controls on some of the higher-end bikes. You can have traction control for riding in the rain, cornering, things like that. And when we get into the really like adventure bikes we can look at, they literally have uh, gyros in them. So when you tilt the bike, it'll correct itself and put more power to where it needs to go and brake and everything else. So yeah, the advancements are literally identical to some of the high-end cars out there. According to Adams, some motorcycles are more fuel efficient than others. Saving gas depends on how few cylinders the bike has. And then as we go through that, you can go into uh, doubles, which are very common. Probably the most fuel effective ones is what we call twin. And then triples is what actually this company Triumph is known for. So you run a three cylinder on that. And then beyond that, it literally becomes displacement, which equals horsepower. So the more valves and, and more you have, obviously it's more of a gas eater, but a single cylinder and a twin are probably the most popular. They're the lightest, they're the easiest to drive. When looking for a bike, Adams recommends trying in person to see what is a good fit from controls, feel, and comfort level. I've never been on a motorcycle, but I'm just like everyone else. High gas prices, long commutes have gotten the best of me, so I'm going to give this a shot. On two wheels, Jackie Reels, NTD News, Los Angeles. Looks like fun. And staying in California, a pet store chain held a ceremony marking its investment in a local animal shelter. NTD's David Lamb went out to see some of the animals that were there. Petco employees and the Humane Society Silicon Valley celebrated a donation of $25,000 to the nonprofit organization on Thursday. 
They do such incredible work all around. So from rescuing to actually helping um, pet parents be able to go through and train their animals if they happen to have dogs. According to a press release, Petco Love partners with thousands of organizations across North America. A Petco representative said the biggest need right now is adoption of animals. And that's just what the president of the local Humane Society did last Thanksgiving. To introduce him to our other dogs, and since they all got along, he, uh, he came home with us. And the rest is history. <laughs> Kurt Krukenberg is the president of the local nonprofit Humane Society. He ended up adopting one of the dogs that came into the shelter, named Panda. Good shake, good boy, good job. He was one that we sort of got to know and formed a little bit more of a bond with, and eventually around Thanksgiving, um, you know, kind of talked to my wife and decided, well, maybe maybe he would be a good one to adopt. Krukenberg says Panda is mostly Siberian Husky and a portion Malamute. He says at the shelter, one of the perks is getting to see all the kittens and animals that come in. What we've been able to help with for a few years is bringing in animals, especially big dogs like this, that um, have been in the shelter there for a while and, and need to find a home. So Panda came up to us in mid-October. Okay. He is a goofy guy. <laughs> we found that they shared very much the same values, and so we wanted to make sure that during this time, as we're kind of hopefully winding down from the pandemic, that we're able to continue to support that mission in our local community. The donation on Thursday allows Humane Society to carry out their mission, which is to help animals get off the streets and to truly care for man's best friend. David Lamb, Entity News, California. Seems like caring for man's best friend is caring for man as well. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Game six of the NBA Finals is tonight, with Golden State up 3-2 and looking to clinch on Boston's court. A win for the Warriors would mark their fourth NBA title in eight years and cement them as the league's latest dynasty. Should they succeed, this year's championship would be their most improbable after injuries decimated their team the last two seasons. Closing out against the Celtics won't be easy though. Boston has already faced elimination three times in these playoffs and have yet to flinch. At the same time, the Celtics have won just six of 11 home games this postseason and everyone is expecting a bounce back game from Steph Curry. Curry, the league's all-time leader in threes, missed all nine of his three-point attempts Monday, snapping, among other records, a playoff streak of 132 straight games with at least one make. He still leads everyone in the finals in scoring, though, averaging more than 30 points a game. Should the Celtics prevail, Game 7 will be Sunday night in San Francisco. In baseball, the Houston Astros achieved a first in the more than 100-year history of the league last night when they threw two immaculate innings in the same game. An immaculate inning is when a pitcher strikes out the side on just nine pitches. Houston starter Luis Garcia did it in the second inning, fending Nathaniel Lowe, Ezekiel Duran, and Brad Miller without throwing a ball, marking just the 105th immaculate inning in baseball history. Reliever Phil Maton then did the unthinkable when he came on in the seventh and duplicated the feat, striking out the same three batters Garcia did on just nine pitches. All in all, the Astros struck out 14 batters in the 9-2 win and now have a nine-and-a-half game lead in the AL West. In the NFL, Colts safety Kyrie Willis announced his retirement in favor of pursuing a future in ministry.
The 26-year-old starter made the announcement via Instagram, saying in part, I have elected to officially retire from the NFL as I endeavor to devote the remainder of my life to the further advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Willis was a fourth round pick of the team in 2019 and became a starter later that season. Colts head coach Frank Reich said, I admire and respect his decision to transition into the next stage of his life and ministry and my prayers will always be with him. And in the golf, the US Open kicked off today at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Four-time major champion Rory McIlroy, fresh off his win at the Canadian Open, was among four early players tied for the lead with a 367. McElroy won the 2011 U.S. Open, while last year's winner John Rahm shot a 169 today. Tiger Woods is among the notables not playing. Woods played at the Masters and the PGA Championship, but struggled after making the cut at both majors while visibly limping. Woods, who missed more than a year of play after a car accident that nearly cost him his leg, is skipping the event to get stronger for the British Open next month. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And in breaking soccer news, FIFA has announced the 16 North American host sites for the 2026 World Cup, and 11 of them are in the United States. Among the sites chosen were MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, AT&T Stadium in Dallas, and Levi Stadium in San Francisco. The Rose Bowl in Pasadena, which hosted the 1994 World Cup, was passed over. The committee instead chose L.A.'s brand-new SoFi Stadium. And coming up, senators introduce a bill that would ban oil exports to China. Proponents of the bill say American consumers should have priority before a genocidal regime. And nuclear power is growing around the world. Countries are upgrading their arsenals in the face of Russia's invasion and China's threat. More on that after the break. Nation Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and deep. Our viewers come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. A bill that would ban U.S. oil exports to China was introduced by senators on Wednesday. The writers of the bill say it aims to ensure the U.S. does not aid and support a primary adversary. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott have introduced a new bill. It's called the China Oil Export Prohibition Act. It's an amendment to the Energy Policy and Conservation Act. The bill would prohibit oil and petroleum products produced in the U.S. to be exported to China. Those products would include crude oil, refined oil or refined oil products, residual fuel oil, or any other petroleum product other than natural gas or other natural gas liquid products. Rubio says it is unacceptable that the Biden administration is allowing half a million barrels of American oil to go to China every day. In his words, we need to increase American oil production and give priority to domestic consumers, not send oil to a genocidal regime half a world away. Senator Rick Scott says the Biden administration is tone-deaf and doesn't understand the needs of American families. 
and the Biden administration has done nothing. They've done nothing to make sure we have more oil and gas drilling in this country. They've done nothing to get uh, you know, food prices lower. Scott says it's absurd to continue to export oil to communist China while Americans pay more than $5 per gallon for gas here at home. He says Americans must come before sales to communist China. President Joe Biden has called for U.S. oil refiners to produce more gasoline and diesel, saying their profits have tripled during the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He says refineries are capitalizing on uncertainties caused by war. The president asked oil companies for near-term solutions in a letter on Wednesday. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre called on refiners to act in a briefing Wednesday, saying it's a patriotic duty. We have done our part with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the one, uh, the, the one million uh, a day for the next six months, and so we need them to act. In response, the American Petroleum Institute issued a statement Wednesday saying the administration's misguided policies, transitioning away from domestic oil and natural gas, have compounded the problem. They urged the president to prioritize unlocking U.S. energy resources instead of increasing reliance on foreign sources. President Biden signed an executive order his first day in office, revoking the permit for the Keystone Pipeline and halting its construction in the U.S. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And a new report is out on the current state of nuclear weapons around the globe. It says the world's major nuclear powers are all expanding and upgrading their nuclear arsenals. Here's more. Even though the number of nuclear war has dropped slightly last year, a new report says it will probably increase in the coming decade. The report comes from Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. The think tank is based in Sweden and focuses on research in arms control. There are only nine countries in the world that are armed with nuclear weapons. The U.S., Russia, the U.K., France, China, India, Pakistan, Israel, and North Korea. The U.S. and Russia are the biggest players in the group. Together, they own over 90 percent of all global nuclear weapons combined. But China is catching up. The Chinese Communist Party has been ramping up its nuclear build. Last year, satellite images show China was constructing 300 missile silos in a desert. Silos like these usually host ballistic missiles that can fly across continents and weapons made to deliver nuclear warheads. Researchers believe these silos could significantly expand China's nuclear arsenal, even to the point of surpassing those of Russia or America. Right now, Moscow holds the largest stockpile of nuclear warheads followed by the U.S. and China. Both the U.S. and China increased their nuclear weapons spending last year. Juliet Song, NTD News. And in Britain, Oscar-winning actor Kevin Spacey appeared at Westminster Magistrates Court today. He strenuously denied allegations that he sexually assaulted three men. A 62-year-old former Hollywood star stood in the dock to confirm his name as Kevin Spacey Fowler, his London address and date of birth. He was not asked to enter pleas to four counts of sexual assault and one count of causing a person to engage in penetrative sexual activity without consent. His lawyer said the actor had answered all the allegations in questioning three years ago in the United States and cooperated fully with the investigation. Deputy District Judge Tan Ikram granted him unconditional bail ahead of his next appearance at Southwark Crown Court on July 14. The allegations relate to three men now in their 30s and 40s in London and Gloucestershire between 2005 and 2013, while Spacey was artistic director of the Old Vic Theatre in London. If found guilty of sexual assault, Spacey would face a six-month prison sentence or an unlimited fine. 
while the other offence carries a maximum punishment of life imprisonment. Coming up, we hear the story of an artist facing persecution for his beliefs. He says he's now on a mission to kindle justice in the hearts of his audiences. And an inspirational story of defying expectations. A boy who doctors said wouldn't survive to adulthood. He's now 21 years old and celebrating getting his first job. We'll hear more from his adoptive mother when we come back. Every year, several groups of performers based in New York travel around the world with the mission of reviving the essence of Chinese culture through performing arts. However, this group of artists cannot perform in China. Our reporter Jackie Rios spoke with one of the artists in an effort to understand why. Let's take a look. The first year that I came to the United States, I watched Shen Yun in San Francisco. The moment the curtains went up, I thought, I want to be one of those performers. Actually, to me, being part of Shen Yun is a duty to revive traditional Chinese culture in the U.S. I feel that is an honor. It's a sacred job to me. In those pieces, do you get to perform? And what role do you play? I play the role of a police chief. I was born in China and have seen many police officers there. And because I've lived through it, you could say I have a bit more experience. How was your life growing up in China? My parents started practicing Falun Dafa in 1995. Because of that, my father quit smoking and drinking. His temper also became better, which made my family more harmonious. When the persecution began, my father was sent illegally to a labor camp for three years, and his remodeling business was forced to shut down. I was only one year old then. In April 2004, after sending me to nursery school, my father was illegally arrested again by four police officers and was sentenced to serve another three years in a labor camp. The police were also looking to persecute my mother, so she went on the run after she heard the news of my father's arrest. At the time, losing essentially both of my parents made me really depressed, so my uncle took me in. On January 17, 2005, the police arrested my mother and put her in a brainwashing camp. She went on a hunger strike for as long as seven months. She only took in liquids until her body couldn't bear it anymore, and then she was sent home in an emaciated state. That same year in August, my father was released as well. In 2013, my mother and I were able to leave China, come to the U.S., and begin a normal life. However, my father, who had been living under immense pressure for decades, passed away on September 4, 2017. What was different for you compared to China? What was the difference? There is a lot of freedom in the U.S. You can do the exercises freely outside, practice Falun Dafa without the police arresting or harassing you. 
You have no such environment in China. I remember I used to feel worried if my parents didn't come home by 8 or 9 o'clock. I would wonder if they were arrested again. When you got involved and you started doing these trainings, did you ever consider thinking, can I really do this? In the beginning, it was pretty difficult because flexibility is a challenging aspect for me. I need to stretch all the time and endure a great amount of pain, day by day and year by year. In Shenyun, everyone works extremely hard. They wake up very early and go to bed very late. Everyone puts a lot of effort in studying dance, and we always help each other. If anyone has trouble with techniques or other issues, we all lend a hand. In Shenyun, everyone puts others before themselves. Actually, Shenyun has become a part of my life. Every day is filled with performances, dance rehearsals, and classes. If you could go back to China and Chen Yun could perform there, how would that make you feel? I would think that we are halfway to accomplishing our mission because then people can finally see traditional Chinese culture in China. Extraordinary story. And now to the story of a Michigan mother of an adopted son who was told he wouldn't survive to adulthood. Now the 21-year-old celebrates his first job, rewriting the narrative. Let's take a look. Parents to eight children, Heather and Luke Bell of Michigan, started fostering after learning they couldn't have kids of their own. Here you go. Happy Mother's Day. And this is Joshua. I love you. Love you he was their first foster child. He suffered from infant abuse after being shaken at two weeks old and was given a bleak prognosis. With some physical and cognitive issues, Joshua couldn't walk, talk, or feed himself. But that didn't change Heather's faith in him. He was eventually adopted. I just feel like God brought us to him for a reason. And I think, you know, God knows that he's gonna be around, you know, and so we got him crawling within six months and then immediately started teaching him sign language. Despite frustrations and obstacles, just always smiles. And now the 21-year-old Joshua is doing everything doctors believed he never would. Stay working today, are you excited? Including working. And, you like your and so he applied for his first job at his local grocery store. Kind of, yes. First day of work, I'm so proud of you, I love you so much. And then right there on the spot, the manager said, well, we'd like to offer you a job. And Josh said yes, and so when we walked out, we were super excited. We took him to lunch to celebrate. I can't believe it, his first job. I'm so proud of him. Bagging groceries, helping clean the sidewalk outside the store, and helping those customers who can't push carts unload groceries into their vehicles are just some of his duties. And it made him pretty popular. This came in the mail for you. They saw your videos of you working. There are people that will actually wait to go to Joshua's line because he talks to them and he takes their groceries out. Heather has even received personal messages from customers commending Joshua for his hard work and positivity. He's just like, just a super smiley, nice guy. A determined, loyal, fun-loving kid who loves his family is how Heather describes Joshua. This young man has an infallible long-term memory 
but struggles with some short-term memories. But this doesn't stop him from doing his favorite things, singing, hockey, watching movies with the family, and also helping around the house. He really has defeated every odd that was given to him. We just really put it in God's hands. He perseveres through his frustrations with difficult tasks, saying no to help from family to prove that he too can help take care of people. He's a master woodcutter. Yes, I am. I just got a wood automatic wood, wood splitter, splitter going. Yeah. And he's my, he takes the garbage out for me. Yeah, he yeah. takes care of mom. He's like my go-to guy. Yeah. We have coffee in the morning, yeah. and then, uh, then I send him outside to do all those outside things. Heather and Luke, who fostered for 10 years, were able to adopt six of their eight children through foster care. I would say to people, if you get into foster care, just be ready for the kids to change your life because they are gonna completely change your life. And I don't give myself the credit, I give my kids the credit because they created the person I am. Like they made me the mom I am. So many heartwarming stories out there. Well, that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.